Alright guys, welcome back to the show. This is your host, Hunter McWaters, and it's a great day. I'm happy to be with you today. Um, this episode is with a buddy of mine named David Merrill. Um, you may, if you've done any total archery challenges, or you've been to any the hunting expos or trade shows like that, or just you know being around, you may have heard of his company, which is called Bow Spider. He makes this um, really cool, innovative product that you can mount on your wall, you can mount on your truck, but he developed it to mount on your belt or your bag. Um, it's just basically a way of carrying your bow and being able to get quick access to it. He tells a story, but basically he missed the bull of a lifetime because he kind of walked up on the thing and wasn't able to get his bow out in time. So, um, you know, if you're into bow hunting, definitely check out Bow Spider. It's just a quick access way to secure your bow and grab it when you need it. Um, but this hunt, we, I mean, sorry, this podcast, we talk about a recent hunt he just did in Africa. He did a spot and stalk style Cape Buffalo archery hunt in Africa, which is uh, very dangerous, very difficult, um, and just an incredible adventure. So we, we talk about his successful Cape Buffalo archery hunt. Um, and then we also talk about, uh, he's done some doll sheep hunts and he's made some films. He made a film about this doll sheep hunt. And, um, and we talk about that because, um, as you might know, I went ahead and pulled the trigger and booked myself a doll sheep hunt for 2023, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, but it's a, it's an intense hunt. We kind of go through some gear and different stuff on that. Um, it's just a dream hunt of mine. Um, so I was able to, to do that and it's, it's a huge blessing, but, um, uh, we talk about those two awesome hunts, and we talk about Bow Spider. Um, again, it's a, it's a great product, so check it out. Um, and you know, speaking of good products, we have um, you know discount codes in the description fields for a lot of the stuff I use. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and specifically shout out Initial Ascent and Heather's Choice. You know, Initial Ascent, great packs. You can save some money there and directly support the show. Um, using the code quest and then if you want to get some backcountry meals uh, if you want some healthy delicious um, you know really top quality ingredients uh, in your backcountry meals uh, definitely check out heather's choice she's got some great a great new lineup of meals available now and different flavors and stuff so use the code hunters quest over there save some money and you will support the show as well and then um, also support my buddy guy over at western fly covers he makes uh, you know any size or shape fly pack or pack fly cover you might need, uh, as well as bino harness covers. And also me and him are teaming up and working on a new product, which I will tell you more about in the future. Um, anyway, there's, uh, links down below for all that great stuff. Check it out. I'm going to ask you one more time before we, ha before we get out of here, please leave me a rating or review on Apple podcasts. Please share with friends and family and please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, I'm working hard over here to try to get out great content for you guys, video content, podcasts, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I need your support. If you like the show, if you like, you know, the films, Please, 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 um, you know, leave me ratings and reviews, share with your friends and family, share it on social media, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's just, I can't, I can't tell you enough how much it helps if you do that. So, thank you guys for your support. I appreciate you. And let's just jump into this episode with David Merrill from Bow Spider. Enjoy. Uh, 
All right, guys. Welcome to the show. I'm here today with David Merrill from Bow Spider. How you doing, bro? What's up, everybody? I'm doing great. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thanks for joining me. We kind of threw this together last minute. Um, you said you had some free time today, so we just kind of went with it, and uh, I'm glad we could make it work. How you doing today? Oh, you know, I just got home, and it's been a, it's been a, a whirlwind, but I'm glad you reached out and got yeah, me on here. So you were in Africa, right? Yeah, I just got home from uh, South Africa. I went hunting with Dries Weiser Safaris. Okay. I've met them a couple times over the last few years. And Sweet I've summer, been man. wanting to go back. I went in 2000, uh, I think 13 was the last time I went. Okay. Plains game and. I always wanted to do dangerous games, so I've been talking with these guys, and nice. they said if I could get over there, they had a cancellation, and they okay. would take me, and so last minute, I hopped on a plane and went. That's amazing, dude. Um, that was in South Africa, you said? Yeah. We were uh, three hours north of Johannesburg in the Limpopo province. Okay. It's uh, just outside of Kruger National Park for okay. people who might know a map. Nice, man. So... Um, just a little backstory here. So um, I met you and your wife at Total Archery Challenge in Pennsylvania. I guess that would have been last year. Yeah, that was a 30-hour drive straight through from. Oh my uh, gosh! I dude, I know the feeling. I just drove to uh, Idaho and back. Yeah, were you spring from bear Virginia? Hunt? Yeah, yeah, spring I bear do. hunt. Um, good. I was um, so I was filming. I was hunting with Mark Livesey. And I was filming for him, and then I was we were with Brad uh, Hunt and Ryan, and they were off hunting together, Ryan Lampers. And um, so me and – so they shot one, like, the second day, and then me and Mark shot one, like, the fifth day. And then, I, dude, I almost killed a really nice chocolate, um, like a really nice one. But anyway, long story short, you guys can listen to the podcast. We just did a recap about it, but uh, he gave me the slip, basically. Yeah, they, they do that. <laughs> Yeah, man. So, um, so yeah, so I met you back at TAC in Pennsylvania last year, and then I saw you guys again um, this year at the Expo, and it was busy. Kind of, I said hi, and then I don't know if I even saw you guys again. But um, yeah, those Expos are crazy, man. dude. It was it was nuts, man. So, but um, yeah, me and me and you guys connected uh, at the at the TAC, and you guys were super nice to me. And it was my first like sort of event that I went to, so I didn't really know what was going on. It was kind of awkward, but you guys were super nice, so I appreciate y'all talking to me and hanging out and stuff no i'm glad you're still getting after it so <laughs> we filmed this uh this latest trip to africa so we're gonna put it on the youtube channel oh yeah it was uh it was seven days of grueling because we spot and stalked africa nobody i mean some guys do it for sure but yeah if you so this is your stuff, second time to go to africa is that right yeah. you said yeah. okay so yeah tell me uh tell me about the trip man so you know most of these places I'd highly recommend you do your research. Uh, Africa's a, a really weird dynamic, right? Because we're very used to here as North American hunters with our North American conservation model, mm -hmm. public land, public tags, lottery systems, right? And yeah, there's some private ranch hunting, but the game is owned by the public, you and I, right? And then right. it just, I guess the game trespasses onto private ground, but the private landowner doesn't own the deer doesn't own the elk doesn't own the bear right like on your bear hunt you just went on i'm pretty sure you guys were 100 percent public land spot oh, yeah. and spot, right yep mm -hmm. south africa is 
I mean, it's been colonized and there's no, there's really no public land and the places there is public land, the poaching is so rampant. There's no game. I mean, and I, yeah. I'm, is it, can it be done? And is there spots? Yes. But you know, the, the meat market hunting that we don't have here yeah. really motivates the poachers to go and just out there. the financial dynamic. I've been to Africa on like a missions trip and we were in, um, uh, I, it's blank, I'm blanking on the country right now, but anyway, um, I saw I didn't see a single living animal, like nothing, and yeah. like you know, usually and we did like a nine hour road trip one time going across the country, and usually like if you're here, you know, you'll see a deer on the side of the road or you know whatever. Like I didn't see one single living animal, and I just realized like anywhere these things are not protected, they have been eaten generations ago. Oh, and the more blatant than that is they graze their goats and their cattle right mm -hmm. and they cut all the trees down for firewood and they cut all the grass down for roof thatching right and you right? can't blame so, them because those people are just they're just surviving man like a lot of those people those village people it's not like here like they're just trying to make a living and like feed their kids and survive so it sucks for the you know ecology but you can't really blame them no and it's a it's a weird dichotomy in you're driving down the road and you get passed by a bmw or mercedes and you know, cars there are more expensive than here with mm -hmm. their import duties and taxes and everything. And their fuel is, their fuel is outrageously expensive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to have a Mercedes Benz and be driving around on the roads and pay yeah. the license and taxes, and then they're driving past somebody who literally doesn't have shoes on. Right. And they're wearing an old hand-me-down Nike shirt that they got from, you know, Red Cross or something. Mm -hmm. It's a weird, it's a weird situation in that country for yeah. sure. But the conservation model that's been adapted is the private landowner owns those animals, right? Gotcha. Yeah. And so he has a monetary incentive to protect, grow and house that, that wildlife. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, I posted a picture on our social yesterday, all the meat on the place we were on, they have a commercial meat packing facility, basically. I mean, it's got two walk-in coolers that are, 40 by 40 feet right and we have yeah. 20 animals or 25 animals hanging in there and then they'll have a refrigerated truck come up buy that meat they'll have a refrigerated truck come and they'll transport the meat to the meat market so 100 percent of that meat goes right into the local economy one way or another it gets a it gets used right yeah <clears throat> but without rich American hunters going and buying those animals. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, part of me wants to have the quote unquote free range public land DIY African hunt. It doesn't exist. You already right. put your finger on it. The places that you can go do that. There's no trees. There's no grass. There's no animals yeah. versus the ranch we were on has like, I don't know how many animals per square acre, but <laughs> more than one animal per acre. Yeah. A lot. Place. A lot. It's a very target-rich environment. So that's cool. Man. I went for Cape Buffalo, and you went we specifically the for the Cape Buffalo. Yeah, I've been. So it um and so I guess you're saying that the ranch, the landowners, I'm sure they does does the government play a role in in uh, how many tags they can sell or how many animals they can sell or are they are they self-regulated or what's what's up with that? Yes and no. So like. Any of the smaller species that can cross through fences that aren't mm. really, I guess, managed like cattle. I mean, kind of think of Texas high fence on steroids. 
Yeah. And the place we were on was 20 miles deep and 10 miles wide. Hmm. So, I mean, you get dropped off in one corner and go for a walk. You're really not walking. You're not yeah. walking there and back in a day. Right. I mean, so it's a, it's a big ranch and the ranch next door is the same size and the ranch next door is the same size, but it's all privately held. So the bigger animals, you know, they're kind of bought and sold and bred, but my Buffalo was born, lived and died on that piece of property. And he yeah. never really cared that there was a fence there. Right. They yeah, probably didn't even probably know, no, but I mean, um, they live in what, I don't know. Now the, the wild ones probably migrate a little further, but that's, you know, on those roads, you wouldn't want to be driving around and have a, a 3,000 pound buffalo step out in the middle of the road. It's, yeah. It would be bad for traffic, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. So, and I tell- asked the PH while I was there, you know, because Dries Weiser Jr. inherited it from his dad and they started this place in the 80s and they've been bow hunting strictly on it forever. But without the hunters coming and without those dollars paying, and I mean, simply put, they're going to harvest about a thousand animals on that place this mm-hmm. year. They have somewhere between three and 4,000 animals, right? Mm-hmm. So they're harvesting something like 20, 25%. And they're, that's just the, the maximum carrying capacity. And that's as many hunters as they can bring in there. Yeah. But well, so without tell a, me the, tell me the story what? of how you're, uh, you, so you bow hunted, obviously. Spot and stock bow hunting. All right, tell me the story, man. <laughs> So when I approached him first, I said, you know, for me, the last time I went, I spent the whole safari in a blind over mm. water. Mm. I said, I, I want to get out and explore Africa and see what this place is like and see how the animals interact, not just, you know, ambushed by water. Now, right. if you want to go be successful, 100%, go ambushing by water. It's a, it's a great time. Take your spouse, take your kid, take your neighbor, take a non-hunter because <laughs> they're going to get to take pictures of game probably you'll have better photo opportunities on the hunting ranch than you would out on a photo safari. Cause yeah. on a photo safari, you're going to pull up, there's going to be 10 other trucks there. Right. They're going to be on the radio that, Oh, the, the elephants are at this water hole. And so you pull up there, there's 10 trucks and the elephants are basically tame. The lions yeah. are basically tame, right? On the ranch, these animals aren't tame by, by no means, yeah. but you're getting these close interactions. So, were there predators I, on the property? Oh, yeah. The hyenas come through. We heard a leopard one day, and all the PHs are really scared of leopards, which, <laughs> you know, we, we got grizzly bears. I'm like, what? but leopard, <laughs> a, a wounded leopard is by far the oh, most critter there. Silent but, killer. So I uh, I told the, the guys that, hey, I'm, I'm coming to do spot stock public land style, but obviously private ranch. I said... I don't care about a big hit list. I just want to be out mono e mono chasing these things and you want to hunt how you want to hunt. Yeah, and it it by far uh you know, spot and stock Cape Buffalo with a rifle is probably the most adrenaline pumping because you just walk right up on them, pick them. They're going to kind of like our American bison face you a little bit, determine what the threat is and then run away. Well, with a rifle, you can sit there and pick which one you want it at 80 yards mm-hmm. with a bow. You'll never get a shot opportunity by letting them know you're there. Right. Oh, so so we did the same thing is cut tracks on the road, get out of the truck, track them, and then try and figure out where they're going and either cut them off 
or just slowly, slowly spend an hour, hour and a half. You can just audibly hear them feeding and grazing. And we just kept trying to dog around them and get in close. But I had birds and I had Impala more than once alarm that we were there or the wind would switch, right? It's just yeah. flat the pancake. The wind switched. You just spend an hour stalking in from 800 yards into a hundred yards and they're slowly feeding. So you're having to keep up and moving. So you stock another two, 300 yards with them. And then the wind switches and you just hear animals run away and you never even get to see any. <laughs> so yeah. it was, uh, it was frustrating to say the least. It was difficult. Uh, seven days of spot stock. I drew my bow back twice. Oh, wow. So it took that One long time. to get it done, huh? Oh yeah. It was, I mean, and we had multiple, multiple encounters under a hundred yards, but I needed 30 to 40 and I needed broadside standing still. Dude, that's sketch 30 yards from one of those things. I was 19 yards. We got some GoPro footage. As I drew back, I hit some brush with my stabilizer. He heard that noise and he steps out. I can just see head and neck and he stood there for about 10 seconds and then he bolted and I'm contemplating shooting through the bush into the vitals, but I can't see the vitals. If he had stepped six inches further before he stopped, or if I had not hit that brush drawing my bow, 19-yard shot. But, Hunter, I've been more than once charred by a grizzly bear and been in grizzly bear and had grizzly bear issues hunting here in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And if you don't say that you're a little bit wary and concerned of grizzly bears, you either haven't had enough encounters or you don't hunt where there's (laughs) grizzly bears. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a certain pucker factor when a when a grizzly bear charges you, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> these things look at you like like you owe them money and not a little bit of money, <laughs> and they look dumb, right? You you look at them, you see them on Nat Geo Wild, and you're like, hey, this is just a big dumb cow, right? Yeah. No, they know you're there. They are very alert, very attentive, and so. So what's a scarier, times, a grizzly bear or the Black Death? The, the Black Death. Look, I mean, they <laughs> they scared me more than a grizzly bear, for okay. sure. Wow. I mean, you're, you're dialed to 11 when you're going in on one of these. And when you finally start seeing pieces and hearing brush. and Yeah. So did your, your PH and the guys at the at the place, did they give you any, like, pushback when you're like, yo, I want to stalk and bow hunt these things? Or are they like, yeah, were they all about it? They were excited about it, but they're also like, you realize that this is – not going to be easy right? yeah so we got to the point i guess your ph about, probably had a rifle too just as like a backup we had two phs with rifles yeah I <laughs> and, bet. and then we had a cameraman and having a tracker two phs a cameraman and yourself you know mm-hmm. five guys trying to sneak up on buffalo mm. finally about day three i told the ph i said you know what bag that tracker forget the cameraman i got the gopro on the bow we don't need the second pH, you know, we'll get him after uh, the shot. So him and I just took our shoes and socks off okay. and started stalking through the African bush with bare feet. And we got close more than once, but that's some uh, primal stuff right there everywhere. And then thorns and the brush puff adders you said, yeah, we killed uh, four puff adders in a week and wow. they're, <laughs> they bite you and you're, uh, you're done. Yeah. I mean, you're losing a limb, like, they're deadly. We didn't see any uh, black mambas, but we saw tracks, mm. saw python tracks. I mean, 
but the grass got so crunchy after about nine ten in the morning after the dew went away yeah with your shoes you just crunch crunch and they need some stocking shoes man you don't have any stocking moccasins uh yeah i probably should have taken a pair (laughs) for sure I'll, i'll go back with some nice moccasins and yeah yeah i mean so running barefoot chasing buffalo was it was a highlight of my life for sure dude that's that's primal man it was uh you know we and sometimes it'd be like oh there's a mud hole and we went this is the start of their winter but it's really the wet season so the grass was at its highest Mm -hmm. and all the natural water ponds are completely full so it Mm. was not like you could sit over the man-made water holes and just ambush them i mean they were so we'd go out and find the mud wallows and they like to wallow you know big black animals still they call it cold but it's like 60 70 degrees in the afternoon i'm I'm shit stripping down to a t-shirt and starting to sweat (laughs) and so those big back buffalo you know afternoons they're hiding under the shade of a tree they don't want to be out and then they're going and rolling in the mud so there's a couple times we stocked up and then just sat under a bush overlooking a mud hole hoping that they would show up and do a little bit of wallowing so again the uh the last evening we we we're sitting in a little brush blind i think we built nine brush blinds just cut some branches and pushed them up and sat behind it mm-hmm. and we had two buffalo come in one was uh limping from fighting with other bulls mm. and he was a younger bull and the ph is like you can take him but he's still got some more growing to do the other bull that was with him was old like 10 years old way past his prime way peaked short short tips but just heavy and i mm. said that's that's the bull for me yeah uh shot was 24 yards Oof minimal penetration with a 650 grain arrow uh 73 pound bow wow like how far how much did it penetrate you think about seven inches wow tipped off one rib hit another and the tip of the broadhead kind of twisted and bent big single bevel broadhead so uh we had to follow it up and chase it the next morning with dogs and rifles and trackers and it got real western real quick (laughs) that that other limpy bull stayed with him and kind of protected him herd mentality oh interesting and because he was kind of crippled up himself he didn't want to go anywhere either (laughs) and we actually right after a shot 10 minutes after in the dark we went and bait him up with the dogs and it got real hairy like yeah, I finally I told the PH, okay, this is a this is above the level of intense that I want to deal with right now. Let's come back at the light when I can at least see this thing running at me. Yeah. So we came back the next morning and we got on the tracks and we got it done relatively quick. That other bull, we had enough trackers and dogs and people that we got them separated and did you have to put an arrow in there. They handed me a rifle at that point. Okay, and I yeah. That. And it was about a 70 yard shot. And, finish the job okay cool well, that's cool that you got to finish finish them yourself <laughs> yep i i kind of asked in there they had enough confidence that i could yeah. i could handle it so i don't think a lot of guys would get that same i guess treatment of here here's a rifle go finish it they would have just walked up and shot it yeah that's that's crazy man that sounds like epic hunt man just like oh yeah sneaking took, to the bush uh, barefoot took seven days big mature bull yep i took a golden wildebeest day two okay. we just, we're we're stalking through the brush and caught movement 
went, oh, it's pretty decent. Made about a 30-yard move. Not even 30 seconds later, he walked up and presented a 28-yard shot, and I double-lunged him. Okay. So I was packing two arrows, two broadheads, two weights, and basically there's a 10-yard difference, right? So my lighter planes game, 450-grain arrows were on at 20, 30, 40, and my heavy arrows, the same distance, they were, you know, 200 grains heavier. They were on a, a at a 40 yard shot, I had to use my 50 yard pin. Right. Mm-hmm. And so a 30 yard shot, I had to use my 40 yard pin. So we just, we locked the side at 30 yards, but interestingly enough, those arrows were within two inches of each other at 30 yards and under. So it was a little bit hard. I think if I did it again, I would go with two bows an 80 yeah. pound bow, definitely heavier grain arrow, 750, maybe 800. And uh, I would just walk around with the 80 pound bow till the buffalo was done yeah and then i'd switch back to a 70 pound bow with a you know that that any an elk arrow that we build here you know somewhere between four and five hundred grains around 70 foot pounds of kinetic energy will harvest anything in africa up to the dangerous stuff (laughs) yeah but trying to keep oh which arrow am i shooting which distance am i shooting in your head was a little bit yeah that's a lot not to mention you're like is this thing going to charge me? Like, am I stepping on a puff adder? <laughs> yeah, it's a, and that's, that's half the reason I did it that way was, you know, going and sitting in the blinds is definitely the way to, to harvest a lot of animals. Right. You but know, you want to do it how you want to do it. I, I wanted to hear the birds. I wanted to feel the wind. I wanted mm-hmm. to see the, see the sights and not just put me in sure. a box. Yeah. I mean, it, the hunt is all about the experience and the hunt, you know? I mean, um, if it was just all about the kill, then you would probably sit in the blind. There's nothing wrong sitting in the blind either, but it's about the hunt. So that's cool, man. Um, yeah. Anything else from, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about your sheep hunt too. Cause I know you okay. did that. Um, so I went ahead and pulled the trigger same thing i was talking to a buddy of mine ryan bassham who does hunt consulting about sheep and stuff and just with the way regs are going and you know it could go to all draw in the next couple years for non-residents and it's just not getting any cheaper he had a guy that had a cancellation for 23 on a sheep hunt and i just it's like something i've always wanted to do so i was like there's no reason to put it off any farther because i might not ever get to do it like the price is just going up and up so i just I just jumped on it, paid the deposit. So I'm doing doll sheep in August of 23. Awesome. So, yeah, what was your experience like? Like, who'd you go with? So I kind of have been cheating. You know, I lived in Alaska for a few years. Oh, that's right, yeah. And I have family connections. Actually, my dad is a a resident, right? Oh, okay. So you went unguided. Unguided solo DIY. And I've been on four doll sheep hunts now. That's awesome. Three were successful. So. What what mountain range did you guys do you guys hunt or did you change it up? Uh, the the one we filmed in was the Brooks and I've been in the Brooks a couple times now and the we've done Dad and I did two hunts after I had a successful one to get him a sheep that were unsuccessful so there's two whole hunts that are not filmed that happened and we just learning things the hard way and you know doing yeah. it so that hunt that we filmed is actually a uh, it's a hike in Brooks range hunt, which is very, very low success odds just cause it's, 
you got a lot of residents, a lot of pressure, you know, yeah. you don't have the expense of the tr air transport. So, and we did it a little bit smart is a lot of young kids go do that mm -hmm. and they cover 70 miles in a week. Right. And they're basically looking at drainage one morning, nothing, boom, they're going to the next drainage that evening, looking at nothing, boom. Well, those rams once they find a little pressure they got some hidey holes that they go up in and mm. they might only move 500 yards in a day and so we spent three days glassing from the same knob and okay. we did we only saw the one legal ram that whole trip the trip before i think we saw five or six legal rams but we spent 90 hours in a tent with snow and fog and rain oh wow i would unzip the tent look out it had 50 yard visibility and there's no sense in Alaska, walking around in gray white fog, yeah. looking for a white animal that's bedded down, he'll spot movement at about 150 and get yeah. up and walk away. And you have 50 yard visibility and you have the chance of just walking right off a cliff, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you really do. So the weather on this last hunt, it was two years ago. We had one day of rain and fog and I kind of on film, I said, oh, here we go again. I mean, we're going to be spending three days in a tent again. And that was, that was rough. When we finally got a break in the weather, this was trip two. I told dad, pack your gear. I'm getting off this damn mountain. I'm, I'm done. So, yeah, it's spending, uh, my first trip to Alaska, we spent probably 36 hours in pretty much. I mean, and eventually I was just like, you know what? Screw this. I'm putting rain gear on. I'm just at least, I'm not going to go far from camp, but I'm getting out. Like I can't do this anymore. Um, but dude, it, it can be rough. You got to like have, you got to like plan for that. Like this, <laughs> I just got back from Idaho and, um, I like downloaded some stuff on Netflix on my phone. Cause we had to spend basically an entire day in tents and I was sitting there just like watching movies on my phone. I, uh, I didn't have, you know, I was saving phone batteries. So <laughs> I think I brought some reading material and I read it twice. And then I was reading the back of Oh, the safety manual on my sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah. Every word on every, I mean, you just. Yeah. <laughs> so Dude. definitely take a mini pack of playing cards. <laughs> yes. Yeah, something. It, honestly, take a, take something because, you know, the glory of spending three, four days in a tent, you, you, you get to where your, your back hurts, your hips hurt. So I'd go from sitting to laying to one, one shoulder to my back and you, you're, I'm in a one man tent. There's not a lot you can do. Mm -mm. And everything's wet at that point in time. There's no drying yeah. out. Everything's wet, and you yeah. just deal with being wet. So, definitely, ultralight synthetics, you know, hydrophobic uh, down stuff. That you know, the one thing I've been doing is I I I like my down sleeping bag. I I like to be warm when I'm sleeping. But on that hunt, I take a synthetic bag because yeah, once you get your down bag wet. You yeah. might as well not have a sleeping bag at all. So a 15 degree or a zero degree or what'd you bring? Uh, what I like to do is put a sheet in like a 15 or a 20 degree bag. And then I'll have my pad under it. And then if I get cold, I'll lay like my clothes on top of it, and put my clothes in it. And sometimes I'll wear two or three layers mm -hmm. of my, uh, you know, my under layers inside the bag as well. A beanie for sure. Oh yeah. Cause you lose all that heat there. So mm -hmm. I actually packed two beanies. One, I put my mountain house in to keep it warm while it's uh, cooking. <laughs> and then another one, just thin light, you know, yeah. they're these beanies, but definitely, you know, you're, cause I mean, you're packing your whole camp with you. It's not, 
not like other trips and not even like a base camp sheep hunt where you have a real nice fancy camp you fly into. And by fancy, I mean a, a four man tent with extra food. It's right. I, I'm cutting the handle off my toothbrush. I'm, <laughs> I'm counting out ibuprofen a, each day. So I'm not packing extra anything. I'm not taking the bottle for the ibuprofen. Heck no. What, um, what shelters you use on, on those trips? So on my very first doll sheep hunt was 2013. And I mean, I don't want to support this company, but I bought a REI quarter dome T1 trail weights, like two and a half, three pounds, three season. And it's, you know, it's almost what 10 years old now and been used every season. It's a, uh, it's seen its better days. And so yeah. I'm looking more at like a seek outside or. Well, that's what uh, I'm trying to figure out. Like, so I have, a big Agnes uh, copper spur that's pretty good. I took it on my first trip to Alaska. Um, on this last trip in Idaho, I was just in, I used a um, Seek Outside Cimarron, or no, Silex, which I liked a lot. Kept me dry. Pretty bad condensation, though. So I'm trying to think for this trip, and it's almost like to almost to me it's like if you're gonna take the silex it only really makes sense if you have a stove too in a way it's yeah. like if you can't have the stove maybe you're better off with a double walled you know so i'm trying to decide try try to do like a floorless silex or just go with the copper spur style shelter for alaska on this trip for, for the way i go i mean they're up there sheep hunting there's no there's nothing to burn there's anyway. no wood yeah even if you you'll find a little bit of willows here and there but you're going to struggle to, to have enough wood and yeah you know i would you obviously don't have snakes spiders really any anything to creepy crawlies to worry about so floorless isn't an issue but you can have enough wind and snow and rain that i would want a bathtub floor yeah and i would want a rain fly that goes all the way to the ground yes. i mean when you're dealing with 60 mile an hour winds i and agree I'm, with you man i stack rocks halfway up my tent all the way around yeah my day I, that's what i would do for fun is i can't put my rain gear on and i'd go be like i'm gonna reinforce my rock wall some more because my <laughs> tent is just it's not a four season tent right so right. it was blowing over yeah. ripping the guy lines out it's i would highly recommend for that trip steer more towards something with a bathtub floor yeah you know? i think you're right man um the other thing that happened to you is like on the silex the um the condensation, especially in certain areas, which of course, you know, in Alaska when you're in a cloud, like there's going to be condensation. So I'd wake <laughs> up and it would be like really bad condensation. And then the rain would come and the rain would hit the outside of the tent and cause the condensation inside the tent to drip on me. Yep. So like it was literally raining inside of my shelter. The only thing that really like helped was starting a fire to dry it out. But if you don't have that option, I'm thinking you're probably definitely right, especially with the wind. I think you're going to want something fully enclosed. Yeah, that was snowing and raining and melting that first trip to where I had about two inches of water underneath my tent. Mm. It was like sleeping on a cold water bed the whole time. So the mattress <laughs> is a must, right? You've got to have that insulation. Yeah. And then I, I hear guys brag about their down bags. I have a down bag and here in Wyoming, that's what I take everywhere I go, right? But I'm a day away from a laundromat where I can go dry the thing and right. restock and go back in if I need to. And I, I'm really not preparing for three days of snow and rain. And so I, like I said, I think on that trip, 
the lightest you can get with a bathtub floor. And the nice thing with that REI is it's got a ton of air ventilation to where I didn't have that condensation issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, we were in a cloud the whole time, right? Yeah. But it wasn't raining inside that thing. Now there was dew built up on the inside of the rain fly, but because there was enough airflow, it wasn't actually, it would just bead and run down the rain fly and drip outside. Yeah. One thing I do do is I put my boots inside at my feet and then I put my rain cover on my backpack and lay it right inside my vestibule. Right. So mm -hmm. everything is inside the weather as best as it can be. And that gives me, cause I have like a little triangle, my, my pack and my bow is laying kind of where my feet are. So right by my shoulder, I have a, a three square foot area to cook and eat and yeah. kind of step in. And that's hopefully you have great weather, my friend. And uh, yeah, I hope so. That's the good thing about that big Agnes tent. It has really big vestibules on both sides, which is nice um, to keep your stuff. The hard open. part with some of those sheep hunts, like where we were going, we go to the top mm -hmm. and want to camp out on top and then look down on the sheep if we can, right? And not that way you're putting more energy into moving camp up there instead of just leaving it in the bottoms and then hike, day hiking up. Mm -hmm. But, but I you're up there. Unzip and I'm spotting out of it. So the thing you'll find is it's hard to find a flat spot big enough for a one-man tent, let alone a two-man. <laughs> yeah. So that's, we've talked about a couple times taking a two-man and splitting the weight between two guys, right? Because you can get less weight. If, if you take the poles and the other guy takes the tent, you know, you can, those, like the, the uh, big Agnes two-man is like four pounds, right? So mm -hmm. instead of a three-pound tent, you can have two pounds worth of tent shit splitting it with a buddy, but some places are great. Yeah, you could put up a 10-man tent, but other places you're kicking out a sheep bed yeah. and that's all you have is there's not even hardly enough room to lay down. So Yeah, man. Well, um that's that's cool. I might have to pick your brain more too as we get closer. Um but there's a couple other things I wanted to hit. Um because you told us about Africa and your sheep hunt. But I got to ask you about bow spider, man. Like, that's your thing. So, and I don't know, you know, just in case people don't know about it, like, tell me about bow spider and just how you developed it and what's going on with that. So, I mean, one phrase that I've heard in this industry used a lot that, that is definitely played out and overused is game changer, right? Oh, game mm -hmm. changer, game changer, game changer. <laughs> but honestly, this will impact the way you bow hunt. It'll impact the way you... and. I missed the opportunity of a bull elk of a lifetime by strapping my bow to my back. Couldn't get the bow in time. Right. And the, the long story is the next day I'm sitting at camp disheartened on a bull of a lifetime. I'm, and we're, we're just debating on, okay, we're going to go up this other drainage day hunt, but it's a, it's a couple hour hike in the dark. And I'm just debating sitting there going, okay, am I going to carry this bow all day tomorrow? Or am I putting the back of my backpack where I'm going to lose an elk? But at the same point in time, we're doing like a five mile death march up into this dead end basin. I don't need my bow for the first four or five miles. Right. I'm just sitting there looking at the bow on the ground, looking at the pack on the ground and having this moral debate with myself of, well, am I just going to be lazy again and strap my bow to my backpack mm -hmm. or am I going to just suffer and carry the damn thing? <laughs> right. And so, and after, after I said, there's got to be a solution where I can do both where I can have my bow when I want it, but I can put it away. And so I started messing around with prototypes and it took 30 some renditions and 
from when I started till we had a product was a little over three years, two and a half years of just wow. go out. And I mean, the second season I was 3d printing the prototypes and had something that was functional. Right. Mm-hmm. And went, wow, this is, you know, when you can just reach over the top of your head, pull that bow off your back, slip your backpack off and go. Well, tell people real quick, just that if they haven't seen it yet, cause I've seen this thing and it's super cool. But just explain to people who may not have seen it, like what exactly it is. It's a two-piece system. It's a post and a receiver. And the post uh, goes behind the stabilizer on your bow. The receivers mount anywhere and everywhere. So on the back of your backpack comes with some Velcro straps, load lifting straps. So you can just strap it there. But you can also bolt it like through the lid of your favorite backpack. has a belt slot, so it'll go on your hip or the hip belt of your backpack. And then finally, we've put a keyhole in it so you can screw it to the wall or strap one of the headrest of your truck. So you can go from the wall at home to the truck, from the truck to the back of your backpack, from the back of your backpack onto your hip, from your hip up on your tree and your tree stand and back again, right? And never have to carry your bow. And that's why we call it a system. It's not just, while it was developed for the back of the backpack and that is the most comfortable, mm-hmm. the most convenient is just to quickly hang it on your hip, glass, take it back off and chase whatever you're glassing. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, Africa's 100% flat, right? Mm-hmm. And you'd think, well, you just carry your bow. That dang brush would grab the bow, grab the hat off my head, and be pulling my clothes off. And it's <laughs> it's like cat claws. Every bush has cat claws all over it. So you get yeah. close to it, and it just grabs and shreds everything. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't have the cat claw thorns, it's got two-inch long straight thorns. You don't yeah. want to touch And they're like needles, right? So... You don't want to touch a bush in Africa. <laughs> just, just don't do it. So I wore our attack pack because I didn't want to wear a backpack because I didn't need a backpack. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the truck was always a, a five or a 10 minute walk away. And, and we had a tracker or the other pH basically drop us off in this block. We'd be walking for a mile. We'd walk through that block and the truck would already be on the other side. Yeah. So but trying to get navigate your way through that brush, having both hands free to kind of push the branches out of the way and then go through with your bow on your back yeah, made a huge difference. And then sure. just fatigue of seven days of having to carry, because I oh, got yeah. 650 grain arrows. I had a GoPro. I got my front bar, my back bar. You know, my bow's coming in at like six and a half, seven pounds. It's super heavy. But I like a heavy bow, honestly shooting in the wind, shooting at distance, a heavy bow stays stable, a light bow twitches all over the place. So there's that trade-off. Like in Alaska, I actually used a ultralight carbon bow for that sheep hunt just because... Oh, you are bow hunting on that sheep hunt? I took a bow and bow hunted, but the way the regs work uh, <clears throat> with a non-resident guide, my dad and I could only harvest one sheep together. Okay. So being that I'd already harvest one, I took a bow... If we had an opportunity, like, hey, there's a ram over the cliff 150 yards, let's walk down there. Yeah. If we were going to pop over and he was going to be 28 yards away, heck yeah, I was, we were going to we were gonna right. film a ram with a bow. But as it worked out, you guys can watch the film. It's on Bow Spider's YouTube channel. But dad made a heck of a rifle shot. And it's a 37-inch ram. It's a it's a cruiser nice. of a ram. So, um, so, yeah, this thing is super cool. Um, convenient way to carry your bow. And get to it super fast when you're hiking and stuff like that. Like you said, it's a system. Go from your house to your truck and all that. 
Um, so are you guys eliminates the uh, need for a pull rope up and down your tree, right? That's true. I didn't even think about that, but, um, saddle hunting is getting big. And so you can mount it on your saddle and then it's not on the tree. It's right there. Just accessible anywhere you need it. That's yeah. There's some YouTube videos, exactly how it works. Bow spiders, the channel for sure. Um, is this, is it kind of, is this like your full-time gig now? Bow spider? It is. I, uh, I went from construction. I went from lawn care to construction to oil field, right? What's I that? Kinda, what's that whole like journey been like? Starting a business and a new product. I mean, that's you know, I've even I've looked into launching products and stuff like that. It is not easy, man. And so, what's that whole journey been like? It's. <laughs> I run around most days with my hair on fire, <laughs> <laughs> just just looking for a fire extinguisher. But no, honestly, I mean it's it's a whirlwind it's an adventure but it you don't know what you don't know right right and what you don't know is what's gonna jump up and bite you now here's a question yeah. if you knew what you know now would you have started it yeah but i mean <laughs> but you had to think about it <laughs> it's a well you wear a lot of hats right? right so you go from this entrepreneur of this idea with no funding and really no idea of what you're getting yourself into yeah and then I went into manufacturing and assembly. Well, now we've hired people to do that. And then you have to, you know, in the beginning, it was just me on the right. kitchen table assembling these things. I remember sending five demos out to different influencers, right? And mm -hmm. I've asked one of the influencers because, I mean, I was hand sewing the Velcro straps, mm -hmm. cutting Velcro, double D rings, hand sewing them right there on the kitchen table just yeah. to get the first five out into you know, people's hands to try them to get feedback. And so going from that, doing shipping, receiving, you know, manufacturing, assembly, sourcing, branding, logos, uh, yeah. trademark registrations. I mean, you just, it's always another thing, always another thing, but now it's more, it's actually kind of boring now. I mean, to be <laughs> honest with you, it's, it's exciting getting stuff started like that. Oh yeah. No, that's the, the beginning. It, it's, it's kind of like the feeling of after you put the bull elk on the ground, right? Yep. You know, it's okay. Now we have work to do, not just now we've accomplished the goal of having the fun, but now mm -hmm. it's quarterly projections and finance and, you know, you moving units and, and just data and numbers. And I don't yeah. do a whole lot of day-to-day -day assembly manufacturing. I mean, I'm, I check on those people. Right. But I'm more trying to forecast, okay, what are we going to do the next three months? What do we need? What's the cash flow look like? What's the labor load look like? And so you go from kind of entrepreneur to small business person, from small business person to middle management. And then you, as we've grown, I'm now not really upper management, but I'm doing more long-term overseeing. Yeah. overseeing and not really paying attention to day to day right when sure, a year sure. ago when you ordered a bow spider i was upstairs assembling it and then in the afternoon i'd go run to the post office and put it in the in the mailbox before the kids got home from the bus meet yeah. the kids on the bus get them dinner and then after dinner i'd go back and work till nine ten o'clock doing emails and stuff and then the next morning i'd get up see what was ordered assemble what was ordered ship what was ordered wow do the evening routine and then that night was emails and research and yeah so it's a, I'm very thankful, very blessed. It's been a, it's been a rock star journey and, you know, just, just coming down to picking a name. That's not right. 
And you guys are out there pounding the pavement too, hitting up total archery challenges and expos and selling we them. Did and nine of twelve last year. This year we're not doing wow. as many. Just not that I don't want to be there, but it's a huge time commitment. Oh yeah, especially with little kids, man. Yeah, so I mean that. You know, I've I've talked to people before too, and I feel like I feel like there's definitely um, a link between like an entrepreneurial kind of journey like you went on with bow spider and like uh, a big adventure hunt like i feel like there's something in our personality that uh, those things are just kind of part of certain people um well and i know i that... i would 100 percent agree with you on that right and mm-hmm. it's because i guess there's a similarity in the fact that when when you blow a, a stock on a big bull elk after seven days of, of grinding, right? Yeah. If you've got a 14 day trip, you double down, right? You mm-hmm. just, it, it's a gut punch, but you double down. And like my Cape Buffalo hunt, seventh hour, the ninth inning, right? You, you pull a rabbit out of your hat and you get it yeah. done. And that euphoric high of accomplishing something that took a lot of uh, perseverance mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a, as an expedition style bow hunter, right? That's I, I now want to go, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. I want to go do water buffalo and I want to go do red stag, but I want to do it more spot and stock DIY. You know, I don't want to go do a, a, a canned hunt. That's just right. not whatever. I, I don't need to harvest the animal. I want to go have the experience of it's adventure. It's like getting that business started. It's not like someone just handed you a business or it's not like you just took a job somewhere and you're taking a paycheck. It's like that hunt yeah. of like making it work and fighting through hard stuff and all that but like with bow spider and i've said this before you know you come across a a roadblock the the difference in the people i've seen that have made it and the ones that fail it's not that the ideas the entrepreneurs have are good or bad right all of it's marketable and sellable it's when the people who don't have that expedition mindset of oh the trail washed out okay we'll go four-wheel driving and figure out how to get around this trail and continue on our journey it's like when they walk up to that trail washed out or that roadblock they go well obviously this isn't going to work and they they abandon ship right there and yeah i mean you would say both spiders made it i'd say we're still in our infancy we're trying right yeah but that mindset of we, we'll accomplish our goals no matter what we might have to yeah. it might take 50 percent longer than we thought and it might take 25 percent more cash but we're gonna make it happen, and that's and when, the, and when things right. happen too, the ability to shake it off, like you said on that elk hunt, like you know that hypothetical elk hunt, like uh, you can't sit there and hang your head for three days. You got to get back after it, like um, having a short memory. Adapt and overcome, right? Mm-hmm. And there's been lots of times on elk. I remember we we messed it up, and it's like elk come in, they winded us just slightly, not a hard wind, but one of the herd, and but they were like five bulls going after it all in the same little area, just screaming. Yeah. We moved 300 yards called and we killed two bulls, 15 seconds apart, oh, nice. maybe 15 minutes after we screwed up on an elk. Right. <laughs> so if yeah. we would have just turned around, hung our heads and walked to camp, oh, we screwed those elk up. I mean, we went 300 more yards and killed two bulls yeah. 15 seconds apart, called two satellites in and dunk, dunk. There you and, go. Uh, uh, the caller thought I shot the same bull and the, I shot, thought I shot the same bull as the collar, right? Because he, he, it was thick brush. He called the bull past me. 
and I had no shot. I just saw antlers going 15 yards by me and thick stuff. Well, that bull came and stopped 20 yards in front of him. Mm. He shot. I knew he shot that bull. Well, meanwhile, another bull came and presented me a 30-yard broadside. I took that shot 15 seconds apart, right? This bull runs up and stops. I shoot that one. The caller shot at his bull again, past me at about a 70-yard shot. Hit him both times, his bull. I never had a shot at that other bull. I I made a great shot on mine. Little high lung, but still double lung them. And so we had two bulls down. That's crazy, man. Well, um, I know also that uh, you're a man of faith. We talked about that a little bit. So how how do you think um, your faith has influenced you as a hunter or as an entrepreneur? I would say it's, you know, part of who I am and part of what I do, right? I mean, it's it's integral and it's, I mean, I guess it's kind of somewhat private, personal, right? You know, it's it's definitely, I have a relationship with the big guy upstairs and we've been put here to accomplish more than just be consumers, right? Mm-hmm. We need to be focused on the long term of how are we actually helping and impacting and making the world a better place. And I kind of like to, there's lots of avenues that we do that at Bow Spider on a daily basis, on a yearly basis, on a, you know, long-term, whether it's giving back to the community, whether it's just taking the kids on an adventure hike and, and picking up, you know, agates and looking at turkey tracks and, yeah. you know, you, being out in nature for me is the closest I get to our creator, right? Sure. Going and sitting in a building and, <laughs> you know, with, with, with your nice clothes on and, you know, that's, that's all fine and dandy and we need that. And I mean, you need that sense of community and that, that camaraderie and that fellowshipping is important, mm-hmm. but on a whole different level, when I'm sitting out there and you'll, you'll notice this when you're in the Brooks range and of all the mountain ranges I've been in, in my whole life, the Brooks range holds something, especially just sacred i mean knowing that you're the only human being for miles and there's no light pollution there's no road pollution there's no noise pollution yeah you are and you know like if you just walk that direction you'll never hit a road like you'll never hit anything you'll die before you hit like a town or something and I, I do like the uh, the control of doing a walk-in hunt versus a fly-in hunt because yeah. when that boat plane leaves a fly-in hunt, there's a there's a sinking pit of your stomach feeling like okay. Yeah. Well, we're actually we are flying in, and we're actually going to be in the Alaska range, but okay, I but get the you'll still be yeah. I mean, because you skid up on top <laughs> of those ridges, and I guess I've been home right out a week from Africa, and the emotional spiritual experience of africa was two months worth of emotion packed into a week right mm, yeah this last week I, I was pretty jet lagged a little bit sick and lethargic and I, nothing noteworthy happened the last seven days the seven <laughs> days before that was like i mean it was one of the top trips of my life and that includes sheep hunting that includes killing big bull elk and i'll, I'll come out right now and say it that if I had to pick one species and one weapon, it'd be bull elk with a bow, period. I, mm-hmm. I could I could forego the rest of it if that's the only thing I ever did again. But I do want to go on a mountain goat hunt. I do want to go on another moose hunt. I do want to go hunt Kodiak for grizzly bears. And I do want to go hunt red stag in, in New Zealand, right? Yeah. So 
I kind of want to experience it all once, but I really am not going to sacrifice <laughs> September archery elk hunting to yeah. go do any of that. So, but that's cool. Yeah, you, you talked about it in faith and and the business, and it's kind of core of who we are and what we do. And you know, I I see so much negativity in the world every day anymore. Yeah. To the point, I don't consume news. So Me either at all, I I could care less, right? And the kids and I will read a book or or read the scriptures or go on a nature walk. And you know, a big part of my day is I got two young boys and I'm trying to teach them that, you know, while animals are food, we still respect and cherish and, and love them to the point of, you know, and we've got horses to take care of. And I mean, we're, we're blessed and fortunate, but I also do have to like anybody. I mean, the one thing a lot of people look at a a job like this or, or look at their boss or the CEO of a company, any company, take a, a sanitation company or a, uh, you know, pick, pick a company. I don't care. An excavation company. They look at the boss and, Oh, it must be nice to not punch a clock. And it must be nice to, you know, have all these perks. What they don't see is the other side of that coin of when there's a fire Friday night at, at 10 PM. Yeah. The boss is either dealing with it or worried about it, or th- at least yeah. you're on Friday the line. Monday. He's contemplating how to fix it on Monday. If he right. doesn't get up Saturday and, go load the truck up and take care of it. So that, that trade-off is, you know, yeah, I never punch in yeah. Hunter. I, I don't punch in a clock, but I'm guessing but, you wouldn't have it any other way. Well, I also don't get to punch out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. there's, there's no off the clock. Not my problem. It's, yeah. it's my problem. So yeah. I hear you uh, that, it's, it's worth it. And I would tell anybody out there that's similar is, you know what? It might take you twice as long as you hope. It might cost you 25% more money than you ever thought, but it's worth it. Keep, keep yep. grinding. And I mean, obviously the big man upstairs had a lot to do with the success of my company for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like you said, just keep grinding. You're going to hit challenges. You're going to hit faces. You're just like a seven day, 10 day hunt. You will hit challenges. How you respond to those challenges and continue and persevere is what ultimately usually plays out like you know hitting those it comes right down to mindset it doesn't i already told you it doesn't matter how good or how bad the product is right what kind of mindset are you behind how how hard are you willing to sacrifice to get it done and that's i mean back to that proverbial hypothetical elk hunt if you if you do a diy over the counter colorado elk hunt and you you get a goose egg you strike out year one do you just say we're never doing it again or do you double down and start looking at maps researching areas talk to outfitters Mm -hmm. and go back the next year with even more proficiency and skills and better equipment and better physical fitness and that's that's i think where that goes hand in hand holistically from being a diy elk hunter to an entrepreneur business owner is that mindset it has nothing to do with your skills your capability it has everything to do with how bad do you want it? How hard are you willing to work for it? Hundred percent, man. Well said. So, uh, you got any uh, any cool hunts planned this fall? We are back in Alaska filming. Nice. And then, uh, what hunt? I what hunt you lucky doing? enough to draw Montana for a deer and elk combo. Okay. So, we're gonna do some public land up there, about six hours from the house, and then we'll do some public land elk. About what do you hunt in Alaska? Uh, we are going to be filming on Kodiak for 20 days. Okay. 
You're, are you intentionally not saying the species you're hunting? <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Now we will be uh, chasing mountain goats. Oh, sick, man. My That's brother awesome. and my dad and I are going and we're going to film it, put it on the YouTube channel. And awesome. We, we may get skunked and it's a uh, physically I'm starting to try and eat better and work out because yeah. from what I've heard, it is one of the, the, the terrain on Kodiak is just. Well, I was there uh, in August. We did a blacktail hunt, um, but being in August, we were in goat country. We didn't like climb all the way to the top of stuff necessarily, but we were up at like 16, 1700 feet. Um, and the up. brush is nasty, right? Oh yeah. It is definitely Physically nasty. Fitness compared to an elk hunt more difficult. Um, I don't know, man, where we were at, we were so high, like that we didn't have to go. We didn't have to climb that much to get to our glassing spots. Cause we were already kind of up. Um, but when we did shoot our deer, you know, it was, there were decent pack outs, you know, to, we had to go back and, but honestly, this, this spot I was just in in Idaho was way worse Okay. <laughs> to be well, honest, just way steeper. Climbed in and just dropped off with some tents and yeah. Who are you flying I, with? Are you flying with Seahawk or, um, one of the other guys? The other one, I think it's a uh, Kodiak air. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, they're all good. Um, that's awesome, man. I'll be definitely looking out for that. And then I'll, I'll be, I, I drew a Montana general deer. Um, so I'll be kind of up in that neck of the woods too. But, um, anyway, man, going up there, um, I'll be up there. So I've got a, a hunt in Idaho on the last part of October and then I'll be home for like a week and then I'll go out there like probably middle of November and stay till like Thanksgiving or something. That's my only problem is there isn't enough time and there isn't enough money because I'm going from August and Kodiak to September, Montana to end of September, Wyoming. And I, I mean, I'm, I've got a couple days off between each to come make sure that the business is at least. Yeah. And the family, <laughs> don't forget about them. Oh yeah. Don't forget about them. They might want to see me after yeah. I took uh, the wife to uh africa the first time and she didn't want to go this time and there's a like i said there's that dichotomy of a guy walking shoeless down the street looking at you not not quite like you would like yeah and then a mercedes passes both of you and you're like something weird's going on here that's yeah, africa's not, different man but um different. yeah there's never enough time especially i mean especially when you're coming from virginia you get like freaking fly out there or like this last time i drove out to idaho i can't do that anymore though um but it's it's gonna be good it's gonna be good yeah you just keep keep getting it after it i mean that's yeah i mean the nice thing is, is i again don't have to punch that clock but every day i take off i create two days of work on the other side so mm -hmm. it, and there's that intrinsic motivation of i want to get more and more done not less and less so well cool man um it's been good talking to you um where can folks find um your your video your uh, films and like look look into more about bow spider so all the socials uh facebook instagram tiktok uh, is bow spider uh, at bow spider hashtag bow spider the youtube channel is bow spider uh, website is bowspider.com and email is info at bowspider. So sweet phone numbers on the website. All our dealers are, you know, and we've got that dealer locator. You can find a dealer near you, or you can just buy direct from us. Yeah. We try and ship three days a week. So 
Monday, Wednesday, Friday, orders go out. You order late Friday afternoon, it's going to ship Monday morning. Sorry, that's just we we got families and lives too anymore. Right. I used to do You're shipping. Not Amazon. Yeah, we're not Amazon, but <laughs> like I said, we we usually get your order to you in a couple of days. So yeah, but that's well, cool, the place man. you can get all that. Go check out the last two films on uh, our YouTube channel, and I uh, I like to post pictures on Instagram. I like to check out Instagram. I I hate Facebook. But yeah, I, I yeah, I'm but the same. Everybody's on the Facebook, so we have a presence, and we we of get course. on there. But honestly, if you want to get a hold of me, Facebook. Uh, is not the place. Yeah. <laughs> the website's not the place. My phone, I it's off all the time. I, I got one more podcast this afternoon and I won't answer the phone. But if you send me a message on Instagram, there's a good chance I might read it in a in a day or so. Yeah. Well, awesome, dude. Well, it's been good talking to you and uh looking forward to seeing that uh that upcoming film too from Kodiak and um we'll have to stay in touch, man. Yeah, you're only, you know what, fourteen months away from a sheep hunt in the Alaska mm-hmm. range. Yeah, which is it's a the nice thing about the brooks is it's an older mountain range, so it's pretty weathered kind of. It's more like Kodiak and a little bit rounder, and then some sheer cliffs where yeah. the sheep and goat like to go. There's no there's no goats up in the in the brooks range. It's I don't know why those goats like the wetter habitat, right? Hmm. So you look at Alaska and they're they're close to the coast ranges, and you kind of go two mountain ranges in, and then there's no more goats. Interesting. But they're sheep. Interesting. So that Alaska range is a little newer and it's a little more steep. Well, jagged. And yeah, I've heard it's jagged. it's rough. I uh, we'll be all right. I like to have good hiking poles, and I would probably be in the Alaska range taking a pair of crampons. Okay. Good. You know, good it, to know. Well, I don't go anywhere without <laughs> trekking poles anymore. So. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't elk hunt anywhere I, I didn't take them to africa and i almost well, would have yeah. used one i mean it, <laughs> and right. i can remember you know we did a 50 miler in boy scouts and I'll, I'll i'll age myself a little bit it was in in the in the 1900s <laughs> but uh i think it was like 96 or so but these two hikers went past me with fanny backs water bottles a little like yorgie or, or terrier or something and they both had hiking poles and they were hiking the uh, three sisters wilderness in oregon and I looked at them and here I am on a 50 miler with the scouts of like a 45 pound pack with no hiking pole. I'm like, what do you got them sissy sticks for? I yeah, mean, exactly. come on, right? Man up. Yeah. Having that stability to, oh, you know, it, it reduces your leg fatigue, what, 30%. So mm-hmm. I can go 30% further and longer. As, yeah, as, dude, this hunt I was yeah. just on in, in Idaho, like if you didn't have them, I mean, it's dangerous. Like, yeah. and I, I got to the point, it's, like, it's almost like, you know, and if you're not hunt, if you're hunting a spot where you don't need trekking poles, you might not be hunting hard enough. <laughs> well, you know, I Unless started with a 70 pound pack on that sheep hunt and you can watch the film. We never put it on the scales, but it was approaching 120, mm-hmm. if not more. On the and way we're out. coming through stuff that I didn't want to have a backpack on at all hiking down it, to yeah. be honest with you. If I went on a nature hike with the kids, I wouldn't have hiked down there by myself. Yeah. And so having capability to brace both and then move one foot brace both and then move the other foot oh it saved me many times from eating it but um which uh, brand are you using at the moment so i had a pair of lecky or lakey um poles i just on this hunt in idaho they gave me a pair of uh peaks sissy sticks to try out 
So I had two pair of, I had a pair of black diamonds and then I got two different pair of Lakey. And then I bought a pair of uh, sissy sticks last year. You like those? Loving the sissy sticks. They are, they're they're worth the little extra over the Lakeys. They are, you know, they're good. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I liked them. So, um, I'm not the collapsible style with the, you know, internal cable or whatever. That's just not me. I, no, just I don't like those either. Nah, it's just they're they're heavier. I I could see somebody might like those. I just got the carbon fiber collapsibles, and they are they're good. They're worth it. And what's awesome is they're a pro hunting company. So that's a little plug for them. Yeah. I'm not paid. I bought mine retail. Yeah, but. yeah. That, that's the good thing about Peaks or other companies like that is you're supporting a hunting company. Yeah, you know. So, um, so yeah, man, that's great. And speaking of hunting companies. Guys, check out Bow Spider. Um, he's got a cool product and it can definitely help you get that quick draw with your bow. You know, you're not worrying about fumbling it out and everything. But um, yeah, dude, it's been great catching up with you, man. Well, I've been following a little bit along, so keep keep grinding, and we'll have to. Yeah, uh, man. What? When exactly are you coming out here to Montana? Okay, so not exactly sure. My Idaho hunt ends on the 31st and then I'm going to come home hopefully seven to 10 days ish and then come out to Montana. But I was going to talk to you a little bit more about this off air, but next year I should draw a Wyoming general rifle elk tag. There you go. So maybe um, we could for, link for the up. General or... public, there's no elk in Wyoming. It's None. not worth money or time. <laughs> you know, go to, go to Colorado. Yeah. You can get a tag guaranteed over the counter and you'll have a blast. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we could we could chat about it. I'm I'm all for it. I like that uh I like to kill elk. I already said that. That's yeah. That's I, I know, like. man. And I've heard things about locals and wilderness areas and things that we yeah, should discuss. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I think uh, the general public, you know, if you want if you want my two cents. There's a Colorado's lot of where it's at. New Mexico, Arizona. If you want oh, yeah. a big bull, Utah's where it's at. They got. Oh the big yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> All right, so. man. Well, I got to clear off here. I'm sure you got stuff to do too. But um, again, it was good talking to you. Let's let's stay in touch, man. As always, it's a pleasure, Hunter. All right, brother. <laughs>